AMSA AdLib is supported by the Academic Group. Where is reflective practice headed? Though reflection in medicine and narrative medicine may sometimes appear at odds with the rigidity of patient safety checklists, Dr. Ilya Runyon suggests the two are not as far apart as it would seem. In this episode, Dr. Runyon talks about how reflection in medicine and narrative medicine improve patient care and how the patient safety checklist is a reflective practice in its own right. Dr. Runyon began her residency in July 2014 at Wayne State University Detroit Medical Center and is AMSA's graduate trustee. She spoke with Perry Sai, an MD-PhD student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Medicine, who is AMSA's vice president for program development. You mentioned phenomena of feeling like a robot or an automaton um, in medicine. And I'm curious whether you think your aspirations in reflection medicine or art of medicine, does that run along with or against these other ideas in patient safety and quality of care, where we talk about checklists um, that doctors should be going through these checklists and um, having all these uh, safety mechanisms in order to reduce mistakes, reduce error. Do you think that these are antagonistic ideas or do you think that they're synergistic ideas? So I definitely understand how they can be, on the outside they can look antagonistic um, because you're right, like it's the same checklist that I would, it's a similar kind of concept of a checklist that I would, for instance, as an intern have on my piece of paper for rounds that I do every day. But it does become, you know, I have to check these 15 things off before, you know, the day is over and that that does become kind of a robot type process. Again, depending on what the task is. Mm-hmm. Um, however, at the root, I think, yes, I think checklists are checklists in terms of patient safety checklists, I think they're important because in a way they take out all, the whole purpose of them, of of having a checklist is to take out the kind of clutter that happens in the midst of a complicated procedure. So you break it down, you do one thing at a time, you do a timeout, you make sure the right patient is in the room. So it is, in that sense, I don't think it's antagonistic. I think in that sense, it's synergistic where you're taking a moment. Like that's the whole point of a timeout. You're taking a moment to, I mean, for you could say to reflect on what's happening. Um, I guess it depends on how the checklist is used. Mm -hmm. Um, And Atul Gawande, I mean, most people know that he writes, you know, when he writes about these things, he's very eloquent and probably way more more than I will ever be (laughs) um, about how these things do work um, when they're done the right way. you know, obviously, if your attending surgeon is like, no, I'm not doing a timeout, then that is not going to work well. Mm-hmm. Um, it does require buy-in. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I said on paper, patient safety has kind of evolved into this, again, a more technical aspect of medicine where we have like Six Sigma plots and we have error models and we have the Swiss cheese model that we learn um, in med school. And... Again, I think that that's kind of what we do as our scientist brains is we take a concept and, for instance, Lucian Leap, who 
is the father of patient safety, um, at least in this country. Um, when he wrote the Institute of Medicine report, um, I think first do no harm, um, about all these mistakes and errors that were being made, what he was really getting at, at the root of it all, before even checklists were an idea, um, is the idea of communication and mm -hmm. breaking down hierarchy and having a better interprofessional relationship among healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. Because if you are afraid to speak up about something that may not be right, then the patient will suffer. So I think there is a lot of, ref that, that that is a reflective practice, which is pause, wait a second, something's not right, now I need to say something. Right. Um, but again, I think, not to say that the patient safety movement is not a, it's a wonderful thing, it's a great thing, and I think the technical aspects are, have made medicine a lot safer, mm -hmm. um, much safer than it was when Lucian Lieb wrote the report. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, it has become, again, like most things, when you think of it from a scientific way or when scientists are developing checklists or developing models for patient safety, it does become very technical. Mm -hmm. And I think, not again, not that there's anything wrong with that, it's just about the balance. Mm -hmm. I think and I think that's like kind of the essence of the issue, which is a lot of times we, because it's easier to quantify and control and to think about things that are technical in nature, that's what we hold on to because that's the easy thing to do. It's the easy thing to learn. You can write it on a multiple choice test. You can, you can board certify someone with technical information, but we can't forget the, the root, the communication. We can't forget the reflection. We can't forget the relationship between a provider and a patient. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's unfortunate to me, and I've heard other people say this, and I've actually talked to Rita Sharon about this, is that it's somehow thought of a, a different thing, like the soft side of medicine, or the humanities course that you take, or, or the reflective writing assignment that you turn in. But it's not something different. It is the root. It is like the, it's just as much a part of medicine as learning the Krebs cycle or, or learning the anatomy of the GI tract or because you need both. You need both to connect with your patient. You need to know their physiology and their anatomy and what could be wrong with them organically, mm -hmm. but you also need to understand where they're coming from, their background, what might be influencing the reason why they're in front of you. Um, and not just from an anatomical or physiological perspective. Where do you think reflection in medicine is going in the future? I mean, the fact that now medical schools, so when I was a first year student and I was talking to other, um, my classmates about the idea of putting together a pathway, for me it was, it just made logical sense. Like I came from a literature background. I knew the importance of the connection of the arts and the science. And again, not being two separate things, but being kind of a synergistic whole that goes into the care of a patient. That made sense to me. Um, I remember pushback though from, I mean, we obviously had a, a critical mass that allowed this to happen. And there are, I mean, 
it's almost like a build it and they will come thing. When people see that this is an outlet, a lot of students will voluntarily and do choose to engage in these activities. However, the level of pushback or the level of misunderstanding about what that meant back when I was a freshman in, or a first year in medical school is very much, I'm not seeing that anymore as much. And maybe again, because I have been in AMSA, I know people who find hold the same values, but at the same time, it's this type of activity has been incorporated into medical education far more willingly within within even the time span of when I was in medical school. And now it's being offered, it's being, there are centers for humanities and medicine, there, you know, there's the, um, the idea of narrative medicine is no longer a foreign concept anymore, it's kind of more accepted throughout, um, throughout medical practice or throughout medical training. Um, there are entire conferences on it now. It's, again, and same with, you know, same with integrative medicine, same with the idea of the medical home, same with, like I was talking about the cult, like the culture shift that is slowly starting to happen. Um, so just that's already, I think, a hopeful thing that, um, you know, taking a reflective writing course is no longer considered strange by the mainstream necessarily. I mean, there were always, there, again, I feel like there will always be those people or those physicians out there, especially those who trained, you know, those who trained, you know, a while ago or when this was not considered part of medicine that will say, you know, this is unnecessary or it's silly, but I think it's becoming more widely accepted in general. And what we still have to get through, I think, is the stigma of doctors being able. So it's one, I think it's one thing that you use these um, tools to better patient care Whereas we still, again, have these issues. I mean, physician suicide is huge in the news right now and burnout. And, you know, there's been work on duty hours, but that's only a small part of why, you know, doctors are losing or feeling like they're losing touch with their their connection to their practice of medicine. Um, so there's, there's still the need to get through that stigma and for doctors to be able to talk about, I mean, I wouldn't say mental health issues. It, it, I think it becomes a mental health issue when you are bottling up all of this um, when you're bottling up all the experiences that you have and there's no outlet um, because it's hard like you know when your patient dies or when you have a bad day or your you know personal life is making it hard for you to practice well because you're constantly consumed by whatever it is in your personal life that's bothering you um, and you know you can use the tools of reflective practice individually but until we as a community I think of physicians can kind of openly talk about these things um, and support one another that's hard I mean it's it's been a huge stigma in um, because it's considered a, it's long been considered a sign of weakness mm -hmm. um, but it's the idea of you know we're as much individuals and people as our patients are and we have if we can't take care of ourselves first, we won't be able to take care of others. Um, so that's, again, I think another barrier that needs to, and maybe it is slowly being broken down, but the fact that we still have these issues of burnout and we still have physician suicide, um, 
as such prominently in the news, um, I think is something that we definitely need to consider as a, as a profession. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. This episode was edited by Pete Thompson with help from Rachel Glassford, Christine Camizio, and Carol Clark. The interview segment was produced by Perry Sai. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer. AMSA AdLib is supported by the Academic Group. Students on a clinical elective, a rotation, or just observing are required to carry short-term medical malpractice insurance. The Academic Group offers AMSA members worldwide a 10% discount on this coverage. Visit our website for details at amsa.org slash academic group. AMSA AdLib is now available through iTunes, so you and your friends can now subscribe directly through your iPhone's podcasts or iTunes apps. Let us know what you think about AMSA AdLib so far. Email us at adlib at amsa.org. Thank you for listening.